First Samuel, First Samuel, chapter number. Somebody told me their favorite place, and I got interested. And then I said, well, what's your favorite kind? And he said, Hawaiian pizza. And I said, I don't trust you at all. Who likes Hawaiian pizza? Yeah, you guys are weird. You don't put fruit on a pizza? What are you doing? I don't know what's gotten into you people. My wife said that when she went to Thailand that they tried to make, they thought of pizza as American, which is like, it's Italian, right? But they thought it was American. And they, they like wanted to make it even more like American. So they put in the crust, they stuffed the crust, but they stuffed it with hot dogs. Yeah. I'm a little bit offended at that. Like, that's what they think we're like, you know? It's like, all oh, the Americans, they like anything that makes them chubby. So... I'm excited about, I, I, okay, tell me your favorite pizza place. Ready? One, two, three. Me, me too. Me too. And what's your favorite flavor? Ready? Me too. So, so it's getting out of control. Okay. I heard today from in the, in the teen event, that they had the team, that Pastor Miles doesn't like cheese. I know. But I also heard that he does like pizza. Now explain that to me. They're not different. Cheese is pizza's greatest platform. No, wait. Cheese is, pizza is cheese's greatest platform. That's what I meant. So I don't, you make no sense to me. Okay. Kids nowadays, you know. So, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I, uh, I remember distinctly being uh, about nine years old, and my dad had taken a uh, church, and like I've told you before, there was just roughly, I think, 19 people voted on him, 15, 18 people voted on him. So very, very small. We had come from a church that ran about 250, 300 people, so a church not unlike our church. And uh, there weren't very many kids, and it was just very, very small. And my brother and I would come, and I remember having moments where, like, uh, there was one I remember being, it was a Wednesday night. I remember it being a Wednesday night because I wasn't wearing a tie. And I was, I was, um, I had, there's another kid next to me. It may have been Corey. I don't know. There wasn't that many kids. I don't think it was Corey. But I was talking, and my dad was preaching, and from the pulpit, he goes, Benjamin! And I was like, <gasps> like it was, I knew exactly what was going to happen when I got home. It was not good. But um, I remember asking my dad on the way home, dad, like, there's no kids. Like, there's no, I don't have any friends. At our last church, we had all these friends. I don't have any friends. There's no kids. There's no, nobody our age or whatever. And I remember my dad telling me, don't worry, son, they're coming. They're going to come. We're going to reach them. And that's exactly what happened. Some of my best friends in the world are people that came to that church over those years, and God grew the church. But I remember worrying about, are we going to have any people, right? Um, these past couple of years, being a pastor here has been such a joy, and I'm so 
grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be your pastor and to do ministry and life with you all. And it's just, it's just been amazing. I also want you to know that I'm thrilled to death that God has brought Corey and Jessica Kirshner here. Um, they are people that God has used and are using. And I believe that as they continue to be faithful to God, he's going to use them mightily in the future. I also believe that about Miles and Anna. I think God's using them and they're having a, such an effective ministry here as Corey and Jess are. And, and I'm very thankful that God's brought them here. I was talking to a friend this afternoon who last week was announced to have officially taken over some of the outreach duties at the last church that I came from. And I think I've told you this, I, when I first got to that church, I knew that I wasn't necessarily going to be there forever. And so my prayer was that God would provide someone to replace me when I left. And that kind of officially happened last week. And I was just so thrilled. I was crying because, um, because the God answered a six or seven year prayer. You ever have that happen? It's just, it's just an amazing thing. So I say all that to say this, ministry takes leadership, ministry takes effort, ministry takes energy, and all of these things that I'm talking to you about tonight, I remember when I first got here, knowing that, you know, Pastor Herb and Miss Judy, they were getting ready to leave. I knew that they weren't long for us, and, and I knew that we needed to hire at least one, maybe two people, and I had no idea exactly who that was going to be. In fact, the guys that I thought it was going to be um, ended up, I thought for sure they were going to be those guys, and they ended up both saying no, and they're, God, God directed. Aren't you glad that God directs? And so I was like, well, who's going to be? And then God provided these two guys, and I, one of the guys I thought was going to be there is the guy that just got, was the answer to the prayer. And I was asking, my problem, he said no to me, and praise the Lord, he, he said no, because he's there still, and God's using him, and I'm just really, really grateful for all that. I had the task of hiring staff to help us fulfill our commission here, and I wasn't exactly sure who I would get and how I would get them. And I knew that in the long term, I'd love to see God raise up. I know this, that in the long term, I want to see God raise up people from among our church to be discipled and grow into leadership both here and around the world. But I say all of this to say, I said, I give you all of those, that information to tell you this. God's got a plan. God always has a plan. And sometimes we worry, oh no, God, what are you going to do? Who are you going to provide? How are we going to do this? And that's not just true of staff positions. It's true of every important great commission task that we have in this place. Here's how I look at all of you. I believe all of you that know Jesus and are a part of our church are in full-time ministry. There's not like some special set of people who are particularly um, uh, more used by God necessarily. I believe that all of us are called to be ministers. Do you guys agree with me on that? I believe that with all my heart. And there are times um, that we're looking, okay, man, we need this position or that position. We need someone to help in this area or that area. And sometimes as a pastor, I get worried. Who are we going to have? Who's going to do it? Who's going to step up? And you know what? God provides. He really does. There have been times where I have panicked and asked the question, God, who are you going to provide for this ministry or that ministry? Who do, you, who do we have to help? Who are you going to raise up to lead? And if you aim at sending people, sometimes you send people and you're like, oh no, we just sent them and now who's going to do it? And I thought they're sent. 
but God's going to always raise those people up. While we impact the answer to that through faithful obedience to reach, teach, and minister, God always has a plan. And this was the question that was fresh in the heart of Samuel when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're doing a series on David. And to to help you understand who David is, we kind of got to start out with who Samuel and Saul is. Saul was the first king, as you know, of Israel. Up until uh, the time of Saul, God had directed with his people, it was a theocracy. He, he led his people through chosen prophets, through judges. They, they, they went through Joshua and Moses and judges, and then they got to the place where the people wanted a king. And God, and Samuel, it was so interesting, Samuel says, hey, you know what a king's going to do? A king's going to use your sons for, uh, use your sons for soldiers. He's going to use your daughters. He's going to tax you. Who agrees politicians tend to tax? He's going to take your money, but they wanted a king. I Like all the other nations, because it was going so well for all those other nations, we want a king. And so there was a king. His name was Saul. He, Saul was this king, and they said something notable about him. They said that he was, what did they notice about him? He was a good-looking guy. He was tall. He was, the Bible says, head and shoulders above all the rest. And so that's who they ended up choosing to be the king. But what's interesting is Saul, to catch us up to where we're going to talk about David tonight, Saul started making a bunch of bad decisions. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 13 and you look at verses 8 to 13, (coughs) excuse me. God, God very clearly did not want to have a mixture of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king is described as two people in the whole of the word of God. Melchizedek and Jesus. And Saul, who was the king, got impatient because Samuel, the prophet, was supposed to come and to, to do sacrifices And he wasn't there when Saul wanted to be there. So Saul began to make sacrifices. And that was a grave sin towards God. That happened in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul made this really dumb oath and put the son of Jonathan, his son, at jeopardy. He oathed something. He made a promise that put, put Jonathan at risk because of what he promised to do. And that was a very dumb idea. And when we get to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, it's like 13 dumb idea, sin, sinful idea. See, you know, sin makes you stupid, right? So 1 Samuel 13, he makes a, a, stupid, like a stupid, sinful mistake. In, verse, in chapter 14, he, he makes that rash vow. In chapter 15, um, God tells Saul something very, very clear. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. Over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken to the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him 
in the way when he uh, came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So God, clear command, right? Who, how, who, how are they supposed to defeat the Amalekites? Total destruction. By the way, God isn't arbitrary when he does that. Um, some people have used this particular verse and other verses like that to say, God's unjust, right? God's a big meanie. He's trying to kill everybody. But God isn't arbitrary. These people had done, uh, this is judgment on, on the kind of things that they had done. And so God gave very, very clear commands to Saul. But what does Saul do? Look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king of the Amalekites. Go back to verse 18, uh, verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he did partial obedience. And I'm going to tell you what my parents told me and what I need on recorder with my, my kids, right? Partial obedience is what kind of obedience? Disobedience. It's disobedience. And so it says here that Saul spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Basically, he says, God doesn't make sense that God would have me destroy everything. I'm going to keep the valuable parts. The king I can use for leverage, the, the, uh, these animals, why would we kill them? That's good meat. Amen? That's good meat. Like, why would we do that? So then here comes Samuel, verse 10. And then the word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord at night. Is Samuel upset? What's Samuel upset about? I just got this king started. We just did orientation, <laughs> right? And now... I told these people, why are you wanting a king? The kings are just going to be problems. And here it is. We got a king, and he keeps making all of these sinful choices. And how long was Samuel up? He's up all night. Is he worried? Yeah, he's worried. Verse 12, and when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, this is Saul telling Samuel, you know, it's like, okay, I know I did wrong. I'm going to, here we go. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What's true? He had disobeyed. He did, partial obedience is disobedience. And Samuel said, oh, you did, did you? What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And, and the low, you guys don't like my sheep? That's pretty good. And the lowing of cattle. Can anybody give me a lowing of cattle? That's, that's pretty, that's awful. You did not do good. Okay. And the lowing of oxen, which I hear. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, <laughs> for, the, 
For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. What, what, what did he just say? Did he keep the sheep and the, and the animals to sacrifice? No. And who made the choice? Was it the people? It was Saul. Now that you're standing in front of the teacher, here comes the excuses, right? We kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto the Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast then little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. You know what he's asking? Back when, back when you were humble, back when you didn't think a lot of yourself, that's when God anointed you. That's when God set you to be king over all these people. Where is it? Verse 18. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone away the way, gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, <laughs> who's he blaming? Yeah. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here it is, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul's not admitting that he did wrong, right? He's trying to say, no, I did right. I, I obeyed. But partial obedience is disobedience. He doesn't get it. Samuel keeps coming at him, keeps coming at him. Look down, look down at verse number 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have, so finally he admits it, I've sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people. No, you blame the people. <laughs> I feared the people and their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. You know what he's asking him? Fine. I'm sorry. You, anybody ever tell you you're sorry like that? You did this to me. I'm sorry. Are you, are you really sorry? I don't feel like you're sorry. I'm sorry. What do you want me to say? I'm sorry. Could you just go with me? Can we just cover this thing up? Let's just go worship together. Let's just look at Samuel's response. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold of, this is Samuel to turn away, he laid hold of, upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. So Samuel leaves and it catches and it rips his, his uh, mantle. Verse 28, and Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. <laughs> you want a visual? Here's the visual. And I've given it to the neighbor of thine that is better than thou. 
And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Who's the strength of Israel? God, the Lord. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned and yet honor me now, I pray thee. This is Saul saying to Samuel, can you just cover this up? I, I, I'm sorry, this time I'm really sorry. Now, now, that, now that the, um, now that the, the punishment is there, now that I'm gonna be taken away as king, all of a sudden I feel sincere. <laughs> I'm sorry, can't you just go with me? Before the elders of the people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Of course, Samuel says no. Verse 35, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel, what does it say? Mourned over Saul. Samuel's the prophet. Samuel's the one that goes from God to the people. He's the one that was used to anoint kings. This is kind of a new role for a prophet. And he was the, he's the person that's supposed to speak on behalf of God to the king. The king's been rejected by God, and now Samuel doesn't go to the king anymore because God's, re- Saul, because God's rejected him as king. And he's upset, but it says here that he mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made king, Saul king over Israel. So Samuel finds himself in a tough place. He's, Samuel realizes there's this King Saul, God's rejected him king. He's told him he's rejected him as king and he's told him, hey, there's gonna be somebody else that replaces you as king. Saul knows that, but guess what? Saul is still the, he's still the king. Saul and his line are rejected, so what's there to be done? He's mourning because now there needs to be a new king. There needs to be a new leader, but who's it gonna be? We just got this guy started. How is this going to work out? God, I'm so worried. I'm so confused. I'm so scared. I'm so sad about what's going on. So here's the question for us tonight. How do we respond when we need a leader? How, how do we, how do we, what do we do when we have a big need and we do not know how it's going to work out? How does God respond? Well, just a couple of things. Here's, here's a contrast. These three points I'm going to give you, four points tonight, are a contrast between how man responds and how God responds. Which one are we supposed to do? Which one are we supposed to mimic? The way man responds or God responds? God, amen. That's it. Let's look at how man responds and how God responds. Number one, man panics, God provides. Man panics, God provides. Look at verse one. So now, now before you do, back in verse, what verse was the last one there? Back in verse 35, what's Samuel doing? He's mourning, right? Okay, look at verse one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long will thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him over reigning over Israel. Are you gonna just stay depressed? He's not the solution. I'm the solution. That's what he's saying. Are you worried? I've rejected him. Stop mourning over him. Fill thine horn with oil. What does that mean? He's got a, he's got a horn, some kind of thing that's full of oil. And the oil is 
what was used to anoint the king. So he said, fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided me a king among his sons. Can I just tell you, in times where we panic, we don't have to panic because God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan in place. We do not thwart the plans and purposes of God. We can disobey God, no doubt. Right? Who, who agrees with me? We can disobey God. We can. But when we disobey, that doesn't thwart the plan of God. When we do wrong, that doesn't stop. It's not good for us, but God's going to get his stuff done. He gets what he wants done to accomplish. When a man or woman of God fails, nothing of God fails. So he says, get up and go. Verse 2, and, but <laughs> you can almost, we read between the lines here. Okay, so this, this is my thought process. Has this ever happened to you? God leads you and directs you in a certain way or a certain direction. Or you read a passage of scripture that says, okay, if that happens, the Bible tells me what I'm supposed to do. But wait, if I do that, then this could happen or that could happen or that could happen. Anybody ever been there? That's what happens in verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. He's still the K-I-N-G, king. Can you hear the gears turning in Samuel's mind? Wait, if I go get a new king, who's going to be mad about that? Oh, yeah, Saul, the captain of the armies. Who's he talking to? <laughs> Who's Samuel talking to? That's, you guys are like, okay. No, get, do you get it? God told him to go. When God tells him to go, he goes, okay, oh wait, he might kill me. God, he might, oh yeah, I'm talking to God. Right? Have you ever done that? God, don't you know that's going to be difficult? God, don't you know if I obey, I could get hurt? Sure you could. Why not? Of course you could. But to obey is better than a sacrifice, right? Look at the Lord's response. I love this. Second part of verse 2. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Isn't that just like God? He doesn't give him the whole rest of the story. He just gives him exactly what to do next. He doesn't even tell. He's like, you're going to go to this house, and eventually I'm going to tell you it is. And it's like, it's almost like Samuel probably was thinking, why can't you just tell me now? <laughs> no, I want you to take the horn of oil. I want you to take the heifer, the sacrifice, and I want you to go to Jesse, and I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I'm going to tell you who it is. He just tells them the house to go to and to take the sacrifice. Do the next thing, and I'll show you what to do when you get there. You know what he's telling them to do? Just obey. Just trust me. Verse 4, and Samuel did that which the Lord spake. Isn't that a great you should underline that in your Bible. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake. You want a pattern for life? There's your pattern. God tells you to do something. You know what you should do? 
you should do it. Even if it seems weird, even if it seems hard, even if it seems difficult, just do what God tells you to do. Kids, you want a good life? A good life happens when you find out what God said and you do it. You know why God gives you parents? It's okay. You know why God gives you parents? He wants, he wants you to learn how to obey how to obey. If you can obey your dad, then eventually you can obey God. And if you can't obey your dad, you're not going to obey God. Are you with me? Kids, if you got it, say, I got it. Like three of you got it. Okay, good. Is it any different for us adults? No. There's a whole lot of adults that never learned how to obey when they were kids, and so they've had a hard time ever since. Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to, what's the next word? Verse four, Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to, does God have a plan? Where did he go? What do you know about Bethlehem? It's the city of David. It's the, the city that we know of that God said that the Messiah would come through. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? What's the point? Man panics. God provides. God already has a plan. Just because we don't know God's plan does not mean that God does not have one. Look where he told him to go. Bethlehem. Does God have a plan? He has a plan. The house of bread. <laughs> He's got a plan. Here's the second thing. Ready? Man chooses, God corrects. Sometimes man chooses and God corrects. Look at verse 5. These men ask him, are you coming in peace? Verse 5, and he said, peaceably I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. Now why, why was Saul going to Jesse? God had told him, take the horn, take the sacrifice, go see his sons, and, and we're going to pick out a king. So he sees Eliab, one of the, the sons of Jesse, and he said, what did he say? Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. What are you saying? This kid is a sharp-looking kid. This has got to be the guy. This has got to be the, the next king. You see this guy? We don't know. I'm filling in the, the blanks. Broad-shouldered, strong, tall. This is king material. You know when the last time they chose like that, what happened? <laughs> right. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. In the Hebrew, the word for outward appearance is, is almost literally face. Man looks at the face, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Isn't that true today? Man looks on the face, God looks on the, the heart. How, Sa how Samuel 
deciding, well, this guy looks, this kid looks good. This is in the right house. I've done what we're supposed to do. He looks sharp, but he says, no, I got somebody in mind and I'm not looking here. I'm looking here. You know what God called David in the scripture? A man after God's own heart. Verse eight, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither had the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by and said, neither had the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath chosen, the Lord hath not chosen these. Uh, When I was deciding what to call this sermon, I chose this name. Oh yeah, I do have one more. Yeah, I guess I do have one more. If there's no other reason to think that God chooses differently than we choose, here's the circumstance. Verse 11, and Samuel said unto Jesse, are these all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. I didn't even call him in yet. Here's the point, number three, man forgets. Man forgets, but God, what? God remembers. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for for we will not sit down till he come hither. Hey, this is so important, we want him to get here. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. You know what? Man looks on the face, God looks on the heart. That doesn't mean that God only uses ugly people. Are you with me? If you're good looking, don't worry. God will use you too. Amen. Praise the Lord for me. I mean, I'm just real glad. That's a dumb joke. <laughs> that was stupid. Okay. Verse, uh, verse 13. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The one that they weren't sure was going to be the guy ended up being guy. Now look at what happens. Verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. You have in the, um, in the uh, Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit works different than he does in the New Testament. The Bible says in the New Testament that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you are none of his. So if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, uh, men and women of God, to do God's service. You could actually be justified. Remember it says, the just shall live by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted it unto him as righteousness. His right, God's righteousness was imputed unto him because he, he was uh, he had faith in God. So he, Abraham was regenerate. Abraham was saved because God responded to his faith and gave him righteousness. Do you get it? But just because he got righteousness and was saved didn't mean that he automatically had the Holy Spirit on him. In our day, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes. And if you don't, if that's how you know you're justified. Does that make sense? Okay, so you have in this passage At this point, God now anoints David and the Spirit comes onto David for those acts of service. And then what do you have in the next verse? 
the Spirit leaving Saul. So he's got this evil countenance, verse 15, and Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. We need a singer-songwriter. We need, a, we need someone to come and to calm you down. Verse 18 this is the sovereignty of God, isn't it? Verse 18, then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing and mighty, valiant man, and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person. And the Lord is with him. So what does Saul do? Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Now isn't that interesting? Who did that? Who did it? God did that. All of a sudden, you're anointed to be king. The king probably, if, if a king knows that there's another person who's anointed to be in his position, do you think he'd like him very much? Who agrees that he wouldn't like him? And yet God uses the circumstance to get David into the king's court. God did an amazing thing. Here, let me give you three lessons, okay? Three lessons. Number one, God's solutions are, are often strange and simple, so be open. God's solutions are often strange and simple, so be open. God had a simple solution for the problem, okay? If he won't, if he won't obey, I'll get a king who can obey. He didn't give Samuel or David the whole story. He just gave them the next thing. Are you with me? Just do the next thing. That's often how God works. Maybe you heard this before. The just shall live by faith every day, just doing the faithful thing you're supposed to do next. Faith is shown by what? Works. Some people put Paul and James at odds because they say, Paul's saying that we're justified by faith, and James is saying that we're justified by works. Anybody ever heard that? Okay, maybe you haven't. But if you go look at James, you're like, well, James seems to be saying he's justified by works. James isn't saying that we're justified by works. James is saying that our claim to faith is justified by works. That if you say you believe God and that you love God, then it's going to show up in the way that you live. Does that make sense? And so here's what I'm saying. If we live by faith, that means we have to live a life of obedience to God. Just stay obedient to what you know to do. When God says do something, you do it. Number two, God's promotions are sudden and surprising, so be ready. Do you think David thought that by the end of the day he was going to be anointed to be king? He's out there watching sheep. The next thing you know, I'm going to be what? King? He's just a little shepherd boy, but now he's being anointed. He goes back to being a shepherd right after that. Once it's over, he just goes back and watches the sheep. Then he gets a message from the person who's 
who he has to replace. Then Saul says, hey, by the way, we need you to come be a singer-songwriter for, for the king. Sometimes God works like that. All of a sudden, you're doing one thing. You're being faithful to do what you're supposed to do. You're just going to be a shepherd, and you're going to be obedient. And you be obedient out in the fields with nobody. It's just you and the sheep. And all of a sudden, then God sees that faithfulness, knows your heart, and says, okay, if you can be trusted with a little, I'll trust you with more. Sometimes there have been times, even in this church, where people have come to the church. I don't know them very well. And they come in and like, hey, I, I can teach. I can do this. I can do that. Put me in, coach. I just want to give me a class. Like, you've been here five minutes. I don't know you. Why don't you just be faithful in this small thing? And so when you're faithful in that small thing, then I can know I can trust you with the the big thing. Are you with me? And that's, that's just a good leadership. You don't just give somebody, hand somebody the keys to the car if you don't know if they can drive. Right? Find out if they can drive. Be faithful in the small thing, and then you can be, uh, you can be trusted with the big thing. Number three, God's selections are always sovereign and sure. So be sensitive. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies those he calls. To be called to a task is to be called to be equipped for that task. Sometimes when we hear about God moving in someone's life towards a task or a title, we're tempted to think, really him? Her? I know there's been times in my ministry where I was, uh, I was in school with a certain person and I knew them in 18, 19, and 20 and then I found out later at 30, 32, 33, that they had been given a task. And my memory of them is when they were 18, 19, and 20. I'm like, really? They're, they're doing what? Aren't you, glad, glad, aren't you glad God grows people? I'm so glad for that. I'm sure that's what David's brothers and dad must have been thinking. If Samuel thought, surely this older kid is the right one, don't you think that those big brothers thought, David? That's who's getting it? He's a punk kid. Who thinks a lot of their little brother, right? Like, that's how it is. Just remember, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God uses people, ordinary, everyday people. But he uses, though, those who are faithful to him. If God can't trust you as sheep, he won't trust you with people. Are you with me? If God can't trust you with a little, why should he trust you with a lot? We see in David a kid who had been faithful in a little bit. We see in Samuel someone who's panicking, but we gotta remember God always has a plan. And can I tell you, God's revealed a lot of his plan to us, but he hasn't revealed everything. Who agrees? Anybody wondering what's going to happen in the next few, few years in our country? Can I tell you this? God's got it. He's got a plan. If we're not being faithful now, we won't be faithful if it gets harder. We've got to be faithful now. So just do what you know to do now and let God take care of the rest.